This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time now for Sensing Bros, a program about whānau, well-being and personal growth. This program is about natural buzz. There's a group of us brothers who are living alcohol and drug free and we want to share our stories and celebrate the things that are going right in the world. There's a lot of negativity, we're about positivity. We come from diverse cultural backgrounds, Samoan, Tongan, Māori, and we just want to share the love. Welcome to Sensing Bros. My name's Phil and I've been pondering a lot of things lately um, regarding the story of end times. The reason is I read a journal article that's said that 41% of Americans think we are living in the last generation, which is pretty despairing. And my question, and I guess the thing that's been challenging me the most over the um, last year and a bit, has been an existential one. How do we hold on to our optimism and sense of hope for the future? I got asked... um, the other day uh, to try and imagine 50 years in the future and actually following on from uh, Yuval Harari's comment it's pretty hard to imagine what the next 20 years are going to look like you know with artificial intelligence their workplace just the extreme pace of of change technologically that we're experiencing so bringing it right back the question is how do you and I thrive and flourish in a time of suffering how do you hold on to those those anchors you know, in a, in a stormy period in our, in our lives. And what I want to do in this show is just present some basic ideas around generative narratives, the stories we tell ourselves. I read once, it's a line that I've held on to for a long time, about that, that people story lives, we lived storied lives. And how do we hold on to a story of uh, humanity and human dignity and not pick up bricks and throw them at other people? So part of that conversation is around the barricades, barbed wire, and boundaries we have in our lives. Um, So just speaking generally, 
I came across a few years ago uh, an article. Well, actually, that's not true. I actually found the article after watching a, a YouTube where um, where the discussion was around toxic narratives, generative narratives, and the person. I'll put the link in if you list if you if you go to the site Plains FM. Um, was talking about cultural renewal and she had observed sort of three kinds of narratives that happen when people are experiencing and, and responding to traumatizing or traumatic events I should call them because not not all tra trauma events are traumatizing but she she made some really um, salient points. And one, that we can and do at times um, slip into telling ourselves, uh, talking about what's happening in, in incredibly negative terms, and we can catastrophize uh, what's happening. Uh, and diminish ourselves in that process. Um, we can be really hard on ourselves. And so some of those things, I'm going to read out a table that I've adapted that she wrote around what she calls um, those toxic post-traumatic narratives. Uh, Elf, which she identified two kinds. One is the, the, the kind that um, really is filled with shame and guilt. The, the very personal sort of self-sabotaging kind uh, and also false empowering narratives so disappearing narratives one false empowering narratives uh, two and then generative narratives and what they can sound like so I'm hoping at least by bring, bringing this um, more to the conversation that'd be nice wouldn't it if we saw on our media people um, asserting the freedom for generative conversation um, and you do you do we do get snippets of it now and then but by and large i think most of the sensationalized news media is um, somehow designed to stir up the more negatively inclined self-talk. I'm, I'm a counsellor by uh, profession. I've been a social worker. I've been in this space for, you know, a long time. And so I do get to see the front line uh, trauma. I do trauma, complex trauma. Uh, counseling as well as alcohol and drug in the addiction space and gambling problem gambling counseling which I love I, lo I actually learn all the time from the people that I'm with so it's a it's a privilege to be in that conversation and the approach that I take really is is very much aligned to uh, what's called the 
power threat meaning framework so I really in my lane in the in the space that I spend most of my time thinking about how people can actually build their resiliency in the face in the face of sometimes incredibly awful experiences and circumstances that have been beyond their control so this is where this is coming from because a lot of my friends are um, in different places and spaces in terms of their their faith walks their faith journeys and some uh, are finding um, their their resolve and their hope, you know, firmly anchored in, in some core beliefs about what's happening in the world. Still believing God's in control, if you want to use it like that term, in control. I, I think, you know, in relation to faith, for me, uh, Atua walks alongside us and suffers with us. Um, because for me, the alternative is, is actually to to say that Atua has abandoned humanity, or a bit like the deists, you know, he kicked it all off and then uh, went on his, his journey through the universe, leaving the blue planet and those of us on it to try and figure out what the purpose of life was. That's the that's that's a position I don't hold to. And I do believe in the story of origins in that in that uh, humanity is within the faith tradition of the Christian church uh, much loved and I do not believe that at the core we are fundamentally evil so that doctrine if you're wondering around original sin I don't hold to which is interesting because if you're interested in, in, in that view of history, a lot of a religious interpretations of history are about how we redeem ourselves. And, and because that's the journey, that's the story, that's the story of, of how do we deal with, as Jung might have put it, uh, the shadow or or how do we deal with the actual reality of evil and suffering and how do we work out what is uh, suffering that cannot be avoided that we have to lean into which we t talk about sometimes and the suffering that is really unnecessary so on that note Let's have a song from uh, 
I haven't decided which one I'm going to do in terms of the cover, but it's a classic, classic song, War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Star Motown, 70s, Muso. Love that song. Love that song. So where were we? We were talking about post-traumatic um, narratives that become toxic. And by toxic we mean they can lead to a really deep pessimism, 
about life in general. Um, they can also produce a little bit of paranoia and a lot of scapegoating. And a lot of blaming. And those are recipes for uh, resentment becoming more deeply rooted and division. And, you know, an incredible lack of peace. And we've been seeing a lot of that. So, this show's dedicated to promoting more a conversation around generative narratives, the stories that lift us up, build us up, encourage each other. But we need to unpack a little bit more about the situation that a lot of people are finding themselves in and trying to make sense of what's going on in the world. Or as a friend of mine has said, it feels like the world's on fire. Huh? So, here's some thoughts that I think might be useful in in doing that. And I've built on I built on the idea that uh, that was presented by a woman called Aberdeen. Her last name's Aberdeen. I'm just it's, it's just slipped me the what her first name was. Um, here it is, Doctor Suzanne Aberdeen. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, you can actually Google in YouTube and she has a paper available that she presented at the Healing Our Spirits Worldwide Conference in August the 7th, 2006. Cultural healing. When cultural renewal is reparative and when it is toxic. So I've added to her comments in a table and... Um, I'm just going to read through these. There's three statements for each general theme, which is, is just a um, selection of, of feelings that people have and thoughts when they are wrestling with with trauma. She's writing her and presenting her thing in the context of cultural renewal in North America. I've adapted that slightly and we can apply it to what we're facing here. COVID-19 is a traumatic event and as I said earlier but it's not necessarily a traumatizing event. For some people it will be uh, and there's a lot of grief and sadness wrapped up and in, in how people 
in a way, and I don't mean this to be glib, try and make peace with some of the tragedies that have occurred. So, here we go. Here's the first thing. Defenselessness and helplessness. Defenselessness and helplessness. And here's some of the narratives. Here's a disempowering, a disempowering, disempowering narrative. The world is hostile, immoral, and unpredictable. I am powerless to change my fate, and I'm unable to protect myself from constant dangers. Here's a false, empowering, post-traumatic narrative. That group or person is vulnerable, but we are invincible. And here's a generative statement I've written. I am able to embrace this world and this life, accepting that there are difficult circumstances and challenges, but people are resilient and are precious. Theme number two, life is unfair. That's the injustice theme. And here's the disappearing narrative. God will fail us and me. God will abandon us. God has abandoned us. And in that way of thinking, a whole host of other thoughts around how we're going to cope, especially if you've been brought up in a religious context, uh, arise, eh? It's, it's different from saying, where is God in all of this? Because that's an honest question. It's an assertion that, well, man, we are really on our own now. So here's an example of a false empowering narrative. God is on our side and we are the just ones. Which is the just war theory and it's how people, you know, will rationalize the uh, art of violence to obtain a better outcome for people. At least that's the, the rationalization of violence. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And here's a generative or a growth thought. Atua is compassionate and suffers with us. Atua is compassionate and suffers with us. I'll come back to that in another show, but I think that that is the way that I make uh, provision for a, for a worldview 
that is still um, there's still an enigma around evil, or what was what's been called the banality of evil. Mm. Okay, theme number three: untrustworthiness. Untrustworthiness. It's a toxic narrative thought to explore. So the disempowering, disempowering narrative around that is I can't be trusted. I can't be trusted with responsibility. Uh, people can't be trusted with authority. Hmm, could say a lot about that, but I won't at this stage. A false parent a false empowering powering narrative. I don't know why I'm struggling over these words. I have a missing tooth and uh, um, hopefully I can get it looked at in the next few weeks. But it's it's, it's um what's the word? It's missing in the front, and so my words seem to be uh, sort of finding this great big draft hole to go through. And yeah, anyway, you don't need to know any more about that. So the false empowering narrative. Those others are unreliable, dangerous, and not to be trusted. But I am, or we are, impeccably trustworthy. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you are. <laughs> so the generative, the generative um, idea here is simply our people make wise decisions. I thought that was the best way of sort of like countering it. Our people make wise decisions. Now in, the, in our context, do you think people are making wise decisions? And a lot of the, the protests really is about that sort of question around confidence on a sliding scale with the decisions that have been made around um, the public health, etc. So... People make wise decisions is, is a generative kind of comment. So we go from untrustworthiness to unworthiness. And there's a lot of people that I have uh, listened to who began their story with this sitting underneath So here's the disempowering, powering narrative. I am not worth helping and don't deserve abundance. Humanity in general is debauched. That's the original sin notion. And humanity deserves to suffer. So if people are believing in that sort of thing, um, and there is a lot of that kind of moral moralism going on in... Um, in 
some approaches to the redemptive historical narrative. It's not just happening here, of course. It's uh, people find can find all sorts of things to um, uh, moralize about. So here's the false empowering narrative. The other, the other, is unworthy of love and respect. We alone deserve authority, prosperity, control, and sovereignty. Hmm. A little bit of, a little bit of a superiority god complex going on with that one, eh? The other is unworthy of love and respect. We alone deserve authority, prosperity, control, and sovereignty. Hmm. That's definitely a one-up, one-down statement. I'm okay, but you are not. That sort of thing, eh? And then a generative growth statement to counter that, I think. Could be something like this. I have dignity and mana, and people ought to be treated with utmost respect. I have dignity and mana, and people ought to be treated with utmost respect. I've often thought that at the profession that I'm in, counselling and, and um, social support, etc., um, really is should be called dignity. People who work for dignity, and then we can put whatever hat where we have qualified under whatever profession on. But primarily, we we are working to uphold the dignity of other people. Eh? So we're getting through this. Insufficiency, that's the theme. Insufficiency, and here's the toxic narratives. Nothing I ever do is good enough. I am incapable. Humanity is never good enough. So we could unpack that in a lot of different ways. I mean, people, if you're a perfectionist, um, often struggle with... They're not good enough. But they've often been um, told they're not good enough uh, as well. So feeling inadequate and doubting. I had a conversation um, this week about, about a, a working situation in which by the end of it I was beginning to doubt myself. And unaccustomed to doubting myself. So, I I had to be asked, I had to ask the question: What's really going on here? And I learned a lot once I'd left in reflection on what was going on there, and it wasn't to do with being incompetent. Um, the The generalization to humanity um, is never good enough. Uh, is is a really daunting 
one. You know, so it's really tart. It's really, well, I won't say that, but it's, it's, it's really brushing the world and people in it as pretty much useless. So if you've ever been called useless or felt like you were useless, that's what the insufficiency theme we're trying to address is about. Here we go. Uh, and here's the false empowering narrative. The other side of that. Nothing she or he, they do, is good enough. But I am, or we are perfectly competent. So another another bit of superiority and grandiosity wrote, written into into that narrative, and he, but here's the generative growth one. This is the this is the one. I am good enough, and I don't need to be perfect. Simple. I am good enough, and I don't need to be perfect. Okay. Next theme. Toxic shame. The disempowering narrative. I am bad at my core. I must be crazy to feel and act this way. We, humanity, are pitiful and shameful creatures. Here's the false empowering narrative. She or he or they are degraded and shameful. But I am shameless. Everything I do is honourable. So that is what we would call self-righteousness. With a, a severe dose of arrogance. And here's the generative growth idea. Simply, I am not bad at my core. At my core, and neither are the others. I'm not bad at my core, and neither are others. Here's the, the next theme. Oh, that was my computer. <laughs> Chronic guilt. The toxic narrative, self-blame, eh? It must have been my fault. It always is. I'm responsible and deserve to be mistreated. And then the generalization to humanity. Humanity has everything to atone for. Um... It's an interesting one, that one, because, you know, I'm not of the party that hold to, you know, the terrible idea that humans are a plague on Earth. I don't, I don't go down that radical, ecological, environmental kind of scathing approach to uh, human beings and our, our situation and our position. But neither do I hold to the idea that we are the, to be dom dominators 
and just extract resource extract from our world without consideration for the short term sightedness of of our impact our footprint so i do believe in the balance and guardianship and stewardship ideas and I am concerned about the pillaging that's just going on something has to change anyway that's in the chronic guilt space here's the false empowering narrative it's always their fault. It's always the fault of that group. But we are blameless. So here's a lot of scapegoating going on. That's the false empowering one. And here's the generative growth one. My conscience guides me. So we have a conscience and a compass. Sometimes it can sort of get a bit wonky in there, eh? Um... The messy mind thing. Anyway, my conscience guides me and I can seek to put things right when I do feel guilty. In other words, you know, we can work with the guilt. Mm. And there's a There's a, uh, I guess, a, a universal need to do that sort of work with a with a with humility. So the last thing we'll look at is brokenness as a as a toxic narrative. Here we go. I am broken, irreversibly damaged by what was done to me, and I can't be put back together again. And there, therein lies the sort of hopelessness and despair. I can't be put back together again. But you can. But you can. Here's the thing. So here's the false empowering narrative. The other flip side of that is to sort of assert that person or that group is damaged beyond repair. But I am inviolable. Now I work with a lot of guys, people who've come through that prison system. And that's an attitude. That's an attitude in, in some spaces. Uh, that needs to be addressed. Uh, so there isn't a, a culture of exclusion, uh, you know, that often they walk back into. 
and then prison becomes a revolving door because you're excluded when you're out. But, you know. So the idea that any of us are inviolable again is just this position that we can choose to take when we are being supremely high and mighty. Mm. Yeah. Don't like it, but it's real. So, and the generative comment that I want to make here is I have been hurt, but I can forgive others. Even when they don't believe, that I can, or am, or are trying to avoid accountability for the wrong they have inflicted. So you're just reframing hurt as uh, brokenness as being hurt. So there you go. Just to summarize, there's the false empowering narratives. The toxic disempowering narratives and the generative narratives. And you can play around with some of those ideas when you're when you're uh, thinking about what's going on in New Zealand with our public health and our social attituding, attitudes, etc. And my encouragement, I guess, is to is to work out what is generative for you and in a way that's not uh, dehumanising. I think that's one of the saddest things when you when you see groups of people kind of gathering in their camps, building their barricades, and and then moving uh, into a space where it's violence that comes to the fore. All right, we got time for uh, another song, and after that I'll wrap this bit up. I was hoping to interview a good friend of mine around uh, conspirituality and some of the, uh, what you might call the God factor. That's, I'm not sure how well... Um, people in the general public who haven't been a part of certain um, church groups uh, understand the, the conspiracy mashup with theology that is going on for uh, some people who are on the evangelical new right. And I think we need to sort of kind of put in some counter narratives and conversations around that idea uh, 
which is really, as I started to show, you know, 41% of Americans, according to, to this one particular um, survey, believing that this was the last generation and then tying in a redemptive narrative to that um, in some shape or form alongside the conspiracy theories, you know, where deep state politicking um, and the nefarious New World Order elites are, are, are kind of uh, uh, are painting a picture that really I think does need to be unpacked I am not in favour of a lot of that uh, new right uh, theological positioning primarily because I think psychologically what it does for people is just removes them further and further from engaging in the real world and living out living out the uh, message about caring for our neighbour so when you get removed more and more from that, it really does become a bubble um, and a way of life that's kind of uh, on the back foot. And I think what happens also is it's, it becomes easier for people to lose sight of how beautiful humans actually are. So we're going to do that in the next next part of the show. We're going to um, do a little bit of, of uh, folding back the onion on what we could call the God factor in uh, in New Zealand and um, and some of uh, those kind of movements. Yeah, really important. And at the same time, um, we can still uphold some of the key tenets and, and uh, foundations of people's faith. doesn't have to be a, 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 they are evil, we are not, conversation. Well, I hope you've in, in, uh, enjoyed this monologue. I really prefer to interview other people, but COVID, uh, my friend's not able to to bring his wisdom and his uh, spirit to the conversation today. But he will be better. And I hope that whatever's ahead of you, today you have some good surprises in your life. And in the words of St. Francis, 
of Assisi. Lord, make us instruments of peace. Go well. So gravitate to the love, y'all, y'all. What you preach and what you turn the other cheek. Father, 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 help us. Send some guidance from above. These people got me, got me questioning.